So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. It's great to have you back for another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. This is the final episode of 2020. And like all of you, we started out this year with so many goals dreams and aspirations. And throughout 2020, we really had to adjust, pivot, change, and adapt. Without a doubt, this has been my most challenging year of leadership that I have faced in my time as a business owner. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But it's in these times that we'll reflect back at the growth that we've experienced. And really, that's what this podcast is all about, helping all of you to grow your leadership, grow your business, and grow and develop your team. So what we want to do in this episode is look back at some of the most impactful moments and guests that we had on the podcast throughout this year. This is our 2020 year in review, and hopefully it will help prepare you as you move forward into 2021 and tackle no matter what 2021 brings our way. As you listen to these short snippets, it's my hope that you'll come away with just one nugget that sparks your fire to help bring you and launch you into next year. All progress starts in the mind and with our mindset. And then that carries over to our skill set and then ultimately, finally, our tool set. So without further ado, this is our 2020 year in review. Enjoy. Are you capitalizing on recent rate reductions? Are you looking to grow your business in 2021 and beyond? If you are listening to this podcast, I'm going to bet that you are. How many times have you heard you need to know your numbers? But what numbers do you need to know? Most agents know how many sales their team made last month. They likely know how many quotes their team did and maybe even how many calls they made. But do you know how much money it takes to acquire a new customer? What lead sources are the most profitable? Are your internet leads making you money? What is the ROI on each marketing dollar you spend? Do you even know where to start? If not, our partners at DirectClicks have created a free tool designed to help answer those questions. Whether you are spending $500 a month or $10,000 a month in marketing, you need to know your numbers, and this tool will help you do just that. Using this free tool, you will finally know which marketing sources provide the largest ROI so you can invest in your business the smart way. Spend 10 minutes once a quarter and input 20 simple numbers, numbers that you already know, and you will turbocharge your sales team by spending money where it works. You can find the link for the free marketing ROI tool in the episode notes wherever you're listening to this podcast and also in our weekly podcast email. I highly encourage all of our listeners to check it out. I use it personally for my agency and it has made a huge difference in my business. So the goal behind Club Capital is to really allow agents to outsource pretty much their entire back office activities. Let them be the front of the house, the sales Mm -hmm. engine, and they do sales and marketing, everything there. 
We are the entire back office solution from payroll, benefits, HR, bookkeeping, and then the advanced reporting. And the reporting there is everything on a monthly, annual, quarterly basis and benchmarked to every other agent that we work with. So we build our platform for any of our clients to log in and they look at how they're doing over a certain period, a month, a quarter. Right next to it is that previous quarter and then the target that they had for themselves and then year to date. Right. So you're putting it all in perspective. And so then the next part of it is advisory. Right. And so the advisory side of it is everything we do on the initial onboarding and training for our own clients to just ongoing support and being able to meet with our clients on a regular basis to really train them on how to think from the financial aspect. First of all, we train them when they first come on board of like, how should you use a financial reporting system to really stay on top of your agency's financial health and to improve it? So a lot of that is teaching them to be accountable and to kind of remind them that you're the one that controls this. The cash flow is really what's happening with the cash, how much is coming in, how much is going out. And the biggest example there is kind of forgetting that when you pay off loans or lines of credit, the principal value of that is not an expense to the business, which means it's not on your profit and loss statement. If you took out or transferred $2,000 from the business account to your personal account for your own personal bills or spending, that's not an expense. And that's not on your profit and loss statement, right? So what ends up happening is you could look at an income statement and show that you profited by $3,000 that month. But then you look at your bank and you wonder, well, how is that possible? Because I don't have anything in there, right? right? And so what cash flow statements do is really show you all activity in one statement. And a lot of people, why they will end up incorporating, say, an LLC or an S corporation is to limit the liability to themselves. Mm. That being the case, if you are mixing financials consistently, those legal entity types are, in essence, a wash because a lawyer could come and say, yes, you have a separate entity type, but you treat everything exactly Mm. the same. You're operating not separately. And so, therefore... When we come after you, we're coming after all of you. Right. And so it's just interesting to me to see that that's far more rampant than I would have expected. And I understand it. We run a, you know, a partnership on our side. You know, I certainly wouldn't be running any of my personal expenses through the business. It would, it just affects cash flow. It's, you know, it's not mine. It's the entities. And then we would disperse of it as we need to. When you run it yourself, it's a little bit, you know, I understand seeing it more as, well, I control both. So it really doesn't matter, but it really does. They need to be treated separately. I would say the biggest thing is to understand that you're in the driver's seat. And, you know, a lot of people are in positions of ownership for the first time, which is incredibly exciting, can be incredibly scary, can be incredibly hard at times. But to realize that, you know, you got to start off by setting, you know, a benchmark that you need to hit. And a lot of people do that primarily on the sales side. And they hold them and their team incredibly accountable to sales targets. Mm. And that doesn't happen as much on the expense side of things. And the expense side of things is the fun side of it, right? Mm. I mean, we want to be profitable. We want those high sales targets to get to the profitability that we want. But if we're bringing in a million dollars and it took a million dollars for us to get there, there's nothing in the bank Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So we got to be able to set the targets, track them as close 
as you track the sales metrics. Google doesn't know your sales numbers. They don't know you're the best agent in your town. They don't know that you beat the guy down the street in numbers last month. They only know what's on your website and what the rest of the internet has to say about you. So in simple, I know I said simple and then I went on a tangent, but we want to keep in mind that the more active you are and the more effort you put into it, you're in a race with everybody else that wants to show up in this space. So you have to make yourself the best possible result. It's really, really important if you're going to have success with digital marketing that you're working with a company that understands your company, really, and the way that you're structured and the way that you need to drive leads in. I mean, if you get the wrong company, they're going to get you a bunch of clicks for claim searches and think, look, we got you 100 clicks. We don't want those clicks. We want quotes. Right. We don't want claims. You know, So it's having the understanding of the industry is huge, huge. Every agent is in a different situation and it's extremely important to market yourself according to where you are now. So like Atika, for example, somebody within their first few years, they're going to want to start building the SEO foundation right away. And that's something they're going to have to be patient with because you're not going to have SEO success in 30 days or 90 days or even six months sometimes when you're first starting out. So to supplement that, you need to do a lot of branding, right? Because nobody knows where you are or nobody knows who you are in the community. You're the new guy in town. So you have to blast yourself all over Facebook, Instagram, billboards. I mean, I would do crazy amounts of branding if I was a brand new agent. And then an older agent, or not necessarily older, but a more tenured agent, they're going to want to be measuring what they're doing because they're often trying so many things. They're talking to so many different vendors. They're getting referred to so many programs that it's important to A, diversify. So not just do one type of marketing, but B, make sure to consistently look at what you're doing and have a marketing partner that's able to help you decide what's working, what's not working. So you can make strategies that make sense for where you're at in the business. Google is not stupid. They know if you get 150 of your friends in your first two weeks of business, they know there's something fishy going on with that. And yeah. I, it happens all the time. Post more real content. Like the agents that I know that have success from social media are agents that post on their business page as often and as genuine as they would on their personal page. Agents are upset with their team because they won't make the phone call. You're not dealing with the fear. You see what I mean? So we deal with that before we teach them how to sell anything. If your team member knew that every time they picked up the phone, they were going to make a sale, would they be reluctant to call? No, no way. No way. It's no such thing as call reluctant. It's the rejection on the other end of the line that they're afraid of. It's the no on the other end of the line that they're afraid of. So we deal with what's called the root cause. Okay. We deal with fear. We deal with rejection. We deal with no. There's a really good book called Go For No. And I'm trying to think of the author. I want to say it's Schwartz. But the, oh, there, there, you, go. <laughs> there you go. Did I get the name Bradley right? Is it Schwartz? Bradley Fenton? pulls it out. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Richard, Richard Fenton. And Andrea Waltz, we'll put a link Waltz. in the show notes. We'll put thank a link you. in the thank show you, notes for everybody. Boom, the there you go. See, so it goes back to that personal development I was talking about earlier, right? So I would say to the team, have you guys read the book, Go For No? And they would probably go, no, what are you talking about? What is that? I say, that's the problem. Get the book, read the book. Because if you understand that the word no means, it helps you with dealing with no. You could build a beautiful house, right? 
But if you don't have a strong foundation, it's going to fall. So the one thing, I'll go back to what Club Capital does. The one thing I would tell the agent is to lead yourself first. The speed of the pack is determined by the speed of the leader. So if you don't have a solid foundation, how's your team going to have a solid foundation? If you're not working on your self-development, how's the team going to work on their self-development? If you don't have a vision for your agency, how's the team going to have a vision for their production? If you don't have a mental toughness to run a business, how's your team going to have a mental toughness to be able to meet with customers? You know as well as I do, there are agents out there who are trying to run their business. And it's not an easy thing to do to run a business successfully. So they're making mistakes over here, making mistakes over there, when what they should do is pick up the phone and call Club Capital. Mm. What they should do is hire the expert to teach them how to run that business. And when they don't, that's when they flounder. It's the same thing with training your team. I've got agents. I say, do you know how to train your team? They say, yeah. I say, okay, what's the first thing you're doing? Well, I'm giving them the word track. And I said, you (laughs) lost it right there. (laughs) You hire the expert. And so our program, it's a six month program. So over the next six months, you listen, we teach you what to do. So when that six months is over, then you can go and do it yourself. But what happens is this, 80% of the people after they do the six month program say, you know what, this is great. We want to keep it going. So DirectClick's online marketing firm specifically for insurance agents. We're a one trick pony though. We do deal exclusively with Google ads. So the paid search portion of online marketing. So I think that'd be a key point to differentiate in a a little bit here, the difference between SEO and SEM. But essentially what we do is we either generate phone calls or generate additional data leads or statefarm.com leads in our case for the agent. And Google AdWords is really a powerful, powerful tool in that sense because we're in control of what time of day our ads are showing. So if we don't want ads at midnight, they don't have to run. We're also in control of what that person is thinking about. And I think that's the most powerful thing is it's a keyword targeting system. So I can put myself in the brain of the person shopping for insurance, speculate what they'd search, and then make my name and number appear out of thin air using my credit card. And so that's Google AdWords in a nutshell is putting yourself in the right place at the right time. SEO stands for search engine optimization. Primarily, that's in two different ways. That's either the Google Maps. So you're listing in Google Maps. And if you're showing up above the other insurance companies in town, or it's the natural organic result from Google, not the paid section at the top. So when you work with a firm on SEO, they're primarily, when it comes to an insurance agent, like a State Farm agent, they're focused on getting your directories, your business listings, all in line and in order so that everything matches up across the web. And they see that you're referenced a lot on the internet, which makes you more influential. And therefore, you are higher in the results. With Google Maps, that's primarily picture and review driven. So if you have more positive or even sometimes negative Google reviews, you tend to rank higher and be shown more often in that three pack, the three results in the map. And so as an agent, that's one free way you can always improve your online presence is saying, all right, I'm going to get one lead or one review per week. 
one to two, and you're going to be in good shape. Pay per click. That comes in a variety of forms as well. There's Google ads and Bing ads, which are the search paid ads. But then there's also display ads, such as for a State Farm agent, agent tag media, or showing up on websites on the side or the top or inside of an app. And then there's also social media paid marketing as well. But search engine marketing covers all of those branches. At DirectClicks, we just focus on Google ads. That's our bread and butter. As far as mistakes go, I think the biggest thing I see is people not tracking effectively. So they're investing all this money and they're saying, all right, I'm willing to spend $500 a month, $6,000 a year, or maybe double that, or maybe triple that. Yet they don't know dollars going out to dollars coming in. And I think that is probably the biggest mistake I run into is people thinking, oh, it's working really well, or oh, it's not working at all, when really they have nothing but gut instinct to base that opinion on. Hmm. So I think it's just crucial anytime you do anything in the digital marketing space that you have your tracking in order and that you have a plan to make sure you're being effective. The biggest thing that sets us apart is transparency. We don't like people to feel like they're in the dark. And so making sure that they know when we're doing a bad job and know when we're doing a good job is important to us. So my belief is that very few people understand insurance. And even if they do meet with their agent and the agent does a review, they might understand it for a brief amount of time, but they don't fully understand it. They certainly can't remember all the aspects. And so if an agent can make insurance and financial services simple, visual, easy to understand, the customer will say thank you and they'll buy more and they'll never leave. I think about seven things, the seven biggest risks we all face. And you would just simply go down a list of those seven things. You know, the first thing I think about is your health. If you had a major medical procedure, it could cost a lot of money. I don't want anything to erode those assets you told me about. So tell me about your health care coverage. And the second thing I think about is your income. You know, if you couldn't do whatever you just told me doing, would your world be okay? And the third thing I think about, you know, God forbid, if you passed away prematurely, would your family be okay? The fourth thing I think about is just the opposite. If you live a really long time, is it possible you could outlive your assets? And if you have that concern, we call that a longevity risk. And I can recommend some ways you'll never outlive your income. And fifth thing I think about your home. The sixth thing I think about your cars. And the last thing I think about is if somebody sued you, would your world be okay? And then the conversation just wraps up by really drawing a wall of protection around income, family, and assets, and just simply wrapping up by saying, you know, as your risk advisor, my job is to help you create this wall of protection. So if any of these accidents happen, they'll bounce right off. And by the way, we are not going to be able to build this wall today. But my goal is to help you build that wall over time. And so my only question for you is, which of these risks concern you the most? Where would you like to start? You know, what would your top three priorities be? And then you just simply help the client work on the risks that are the most impactful to them, the risks that concern them the most. I think it's just tremendously important in this age of commoditization that the agent really steps up and becomes a risk advisor and has that face-to-face meeting with the client. I think the number one challenge is team and if they would position their agencies as a thoughtful risk advisor and then use your world as a practical exam, 
it's the perfect way to know how this team member is going to perform on the job. There's certainly a very common belief that multiple products help retain a household. And I believe that, but I only believe that to the extent that the products came about from high quality conversations, because it's the conversations and the interaction and the humanization of that relationship that I think really lends itself to retention. Technology creates a lot of opportunities. No matter what anybody wants to think, people are people, humans are humans, they want connection. They want to know that somebody has their back. They want to know that there's a plan. They want to know that there's a strategy. They want to know that there's an objective. And people are getting a little sick and tired of, you know, the keyboard warriors and social media and the anonymous stuff. And I think people are really, in my observation, looking for real human connections. I think you have to divide your strategy into two parts. I think you have to say, what can I do to avoid objections in the first place? And then for the ones that squeak through, do I have a proven process to handle them? And I don't believe in the statement of, quote, overcoming objections, because I think that connotates sort of crushing them or blowing them out of the water and dominating them. And so I don't believe in that strategy at all. In fact, I think the thing that works the best is is the complete opposite. I would caution people to really think about, are you sort of ruining your book of businesses receptivity? to your offers of helping them by offering them products instead of solutions to problems not yet explored. Never, ever, ever respond to an objection with a statement, an answer, a response. Always, always, always follow an objection with a question. I am totally willing to take people down a deep tunnel of hypothetical questions to avoid them dealing with the horrible reality of this actually happening and them dealing with it in the real world. And I will tell them that point blank. I will say, I'd rather have this hypothetical conversation with you now than the horrible conversation of, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I say, I don't know. So as a professional advisor, we need to be willing to go there and take them there because most people will stop at, well, I couldn't pay the bills, duh and not go any further, and that's why they remain unprotected. I would say that a winning culture is one that believes in achieving the goal of the business consistently. I would say that a winning culture is one that does things for a bigger reason than themselves, so they have a tremendous purpose. I would say that a winning culture is one that is magnetic. So people really want to be a part of it. They see the exciting things that are happening with it and they want in. I would say that a winning culture is one that is selfless. That goes back to that sense of purpose. I'd much rather have smarter, more talented, better people than I am in my organization because we're just going to continually increase our capacity to grow and to achieve more. As business owners, we can go into the depths of the dark places pretty easily. If we haven't hit a goal, if we haven't done everything perfect on our to-do list, whatever, we can go there fast. And throughout the day. Not just once a month, month, right? (laughs) And so if you can live in your strengths, in my opinion, you're a whole lot happier and you don't go off the cliff as much. 
And we all have to do things occasionally that it's not in our wheelhouse or that we're not as good at or that we don't like as much. However, if we can stay that 80-20 rule, if we can stay 80% in the things that we get energy from and that we're good at, it'll translate, right? And that's how I operate my team. So I think continuing to work in my strengths and really being intentional about that is going to just be more fun and more lucrative. So that's definitely one. As I do that, I have to delegate off, right? I have to find the people that are going to be best suited to do the things that I'm not, I don't have the capability, the capacity, or the love for the energy for. You've got to work on the biggest monkey on your back first. Whatever is the one that's making you lose sleep, and balance from there moving forward because perfection is the lowest standard we can set ourselves. It almost like saying, I'm okay to be disappointed 24 seven because we can't achieve perfect. That's why when you get those four pillars in a certain balance, you rebalance imperfectly moving forward. Unless you do your 10 minutes, do not quit because that 10 minutes can turn into a killer workout or you'll give yourself an excuse saying, you know what? I told myself I'm gonna do 10 minutes. You're not gonna let yourself down. And there's a very important power of you knowing, you look in the mirror, you're saying, you know what? I have integrity with myself. And stick to the 10-minute rule. You might just have extra four workouts that week. You want a positive, driven, coachable, competitive. You want the PhD, right? Poor, hungry, determined mindset. So you want somebody who shows up early. You want somebody who reads good books. You want somebody who exercises. You want somebody who's positive, right? You want all that in your office. Is that what you are or is that what you want? Because the unfortunate truth to that is we track what we are, not what we want. So unless you're showing up early, unless you're reading books, unless you're doing the races, unless you've got a good marriage and good kids, do not expect for somebody to come in and all of a sudden become like that. Sometimes, again, avoiding what you think you need to do more of, it's the complete paradox. You have to just switch. When I started doing less and I quit thinking just hard work is when work got better. It got more satisfying. It brought more passion into my life. I make a lot of mistakes. Like there's been a lot of adversity because of the choices I've made. There's been a lot of pain because of what I've done. But I want to say nothing, nothing because pain And mistakes and risk has built and taught me many valuable lessons. So every time I've had something that I lost sleep over, I've gotten better. So the mistakes I've made, the extra stuff I've done, or the things that I didn't do enough, I am glad because it molded me into who I am today. Every agent has the opportunity for growth and greatness. That's in your head, not somebody else's. You determine whether you want to grow and become a great business. Number two, every agent knows what the leadership qualities are to get there. Self-discipline, self-motivation, hard work, the right attitude, getting the right people, all those kind of, they know that, but are they doing it? And number three, the agents that are doing it aren't focused on excuses, they're focused on execution. And I always loved Ben Franklin's quote, he said, he who is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. State Farm in particular has built their agencies off of that, getting in there and seeing the people face to face. And a lot of that's going away now because a lot of these new agents, everything's on a device. And that's okay. If you get an auto or you get a fire policy through a device, that's great. But then how are you going to develop them? You're not going to sell them life insurance and mutual funds and retirement and all that stuff. Probably aren't going to do that over a device. And so I always encourage agents to get them in there, talk to them, do the reviews where you go over everything to see what they have, see if that can be improved and to see if there's anything else you can help them with. 
So technology is a great tool, but it should never place face-to-face. In order to have a greater quantity of self-motivation, surround yourself with the greatest quality of inspiration. What are you reading? Who are you hanging around? What are you listening to? That will determine your level of self-motivation or the lack thereof. Successful people learn to do the things that failures don't like to do. What do failures don't like to do, particularly in the insurance business? They don't like to prospect. They don't like to get rejected. They don't like to do the paperwork, plan, cast the vision. And he said, neither do successful people. But successful people learn to do what they don't like to get what they do like. So you're running a marathon, Chris. You're doing probably some things you don't like, going out on those early morning runs and putting in those 20 milers. But when you cross the finish line of a 26.2-mile race, you're going to get what you wanted because you put in the work and you did some things you didn't want to do to get what you really want. And it's the same in any endeavor in life. What is your idea of doing good? Like, I'm doing great. Well, how does that define it? Each person's different. Some people will run a lower cost of acquisition or a lower expense ratio on their business, and that's how they define success. Everybody's different, and that's what's kind of a fun part about our industry and our business is there's no one clear definition of what does success mean. Now, I'm not saying that you can just have any person just sit back and collect a paycheck. That's not at all what I'm saying. But it's one of those things when you have a good person, they have that, and they're fun to be around, and you want to be around them, they're engaging. That's where maybe you find a role that fits their personality, fits their strengths. That's really where it is. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So when we're talking like budget and where it goes, it's the quality versus the quantity approach where if you're killing it in the internet game as a captive carrier, three, maybe four, five percent that you can get off of that versus when you might have an event lead, you might be 50 to 80 percent close ratio but you might not get 10 a day coming in every single solitary day. So at the end of the day, it was a quality versus quantity. But when you think about it, if you're going to buy a lead from a vendor, and we just think of it as what are five leads worth? What if it's just five names and numbers? What if it's just five names and numbers, but they let you quote them? What if it's five names and numbers that let you quote them, but now they know what you're about. They know that you're fun. They've met you in person and they're exclusive to you and they're never resold six and eight and 10 months later. When you think of it from a um, a cost and a benefit standpoint, it's not just I did an event that cost me a hundred bucks. I got five people to say yes to a quote. It's more than that when you really start dialing it down. Well, I mean, the first thing is like when you're interviewing someone or you're having them join the team is I always ask, is this someone that I can spend nine hours a day with 
five days a week? Is this somebody that's engaging nice enough, someone that I want to spend this kind of time with? Because at the end of the day, if they're not someone I want to spend that kind of time with, then it's not going to be a good fit for me. Again, when we talk about investments and betting on yourself, when you convince somebody else that they're worth it and they're willing to bet on themselves, again, that's that person that sticks with you, not for like a year or two, but that's the person who sticks with you for three, four, five years. So individual goals are very much based on an intrinsic motivator of accountability. It's about doing what you say you're going to do. Somebody sets a goal and now they want to achieve it. It's highly motivating to them to achieve that. In fact, it's more motivating to them to achieve that than it is to make money, believe it or not. People want to not just be part of a group, but they want to matter to the group. And when you introduce a team-based component into a compensation plan, not only does it improve communication because they're checking in with each other to see what they're working on, et cetera, but it creates a high degree of accountability that you're going to help that team out. Think about it. Daily activity plans are ensuring that people are doing the business building activities that will ultimately result in sales. And so it's far too common for sales managers to look at those sales results. We need more sales. We need more policies. We need more premium. This is the equivalent of a coach telling a team that they need to win more games. It is completely unproductive. But by managing the activities, it's similar to a coach running plays. By running and practicing plays, that's how you score points and that's how you win games. And so that's where you get that huge lift from the daily activities. And then once again, if you combine all of those things, on average, those agencies have production that's 43% greater than the baseline. By providing real-time data on the things that matter to you and your agency, you cause, whether it's an agency manager or a sales rep or a service rep, to look at that data and make a decision. Am I okay with this number? And if they're not, they're much more likely to take action on that. And that action is going to be things like setting appointments, making phone calls, rerunning quotes, etc. It's a very simple concept, but it's one that we often lose track of. If you're continuing to lay the groundwork through those income-producing activities, you are moving forward. And tools like ours give that positive reinforcement that you're doing the right thing and that if you keep doing it, you're going to start seeing those sales numbers. By having a very simple compensation plan with clear visibility into what it is that they need to accomplish, you're much more likely that it is going to influence them. And that's what you're trying to do with a compensation plan. You're trying to influence them. That's why we decide that it's going to be based on this more than this other thing. Through gamification is you find ways to provide an entertaining format that actually increases their focus on their job. From that, you can get long-term benefits that are very substantial. There are seven tried and true traits and characteristics that team members should possess across the board. One is coachability. They need to be able to comfortably get feedback and input on what they're doing well and what they need to do better or differently. In the insurance industry, there's so many nuances, whether it's the product knowledge or the systems, but they've got to be able to have the ability to learn quickly to be able to adopt and adapt to become as efficient and effective and productive as possible and practical. 
Now, if you want to be a coach and you love training and developing your people, then first of all, I suggest that the agent attend as many trainings as their team members attend as practical. So you understand the principles, the approaches that they're learning. What you want to do is keep the funnel really full because the activity will drive the activity, the production. And that's really key. In the long run, Bradley, as long as my team members are quoting a minimum of five families a day, I don't care where they're getting, how many outbound calls they're making. If they're making only four families quoted a day, I do mind. Some of the best reps that I'm working with right now, they're quoting, and this is kind of good numbers for you guys right now with COVID-19. They're making 100 to 120 calls a day. They're connecting with maybe 10 people. Maybe four of those people, you know, and that's a good number, are letting them, you know, they're quoting their policies. When things are going good, it's easy to be a great leader and be respected and admired and all that. It's when things aren't so good or when people are scared. So I think the first thing that you should do, and we did this early on, back late February, early March, when things started looking like they were going to go in a bad direction, I think you got to make sure that your team knows that you have their back. It's not about, hey, what do you have now? Let's do an apples, apples comparison at the very end. After 20 minutes, I hope that I'm at least a dollar a month cheaper than what you have. That's not really what we're about. We want to do the right thing. We look at it very much like a doctor. You go to the doctor's office and they're going to weigh you. They're going to take your blood pressure. They're going to take your temperature. And there's not going to be any negotiating about any of these things. They're just going to tell you, here's what we're going to do. and This is it, right? And you do it because it's important. And because they're the professional and they've got the license and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with you and they're trying to get you better. Well, right. We go about it in the same way. We also talk a lot about internal objections. External objections you get from customers. Internal objections are the ones you have for yourself. Sometimes these people that are trying to sell high liability limits, umbrella policies, life insurance, when you get in there and really start asking them what they have, they don't have that stuff. (laughs) They don't have an umbrella policy because they don't believe in it. And that's an internal objection. So, You have to believe, you have to know in your heart that these are the right things and this is why. So that when you start talking to people about it, you have some conviction and some passion in your voice and it comes through. We look for ability, not experience. We always require them to get a license before they come on board. And we're going to be very clear and communicate our expectations and our standards, not just of the production, but of the activity levels that are required to lead to production. Because when you start holding them accountable, you better have gone over what it was you're holding them accountable for before they started. Otherwise, it's going to be a surprise. You're not going to be on the same page. And now you can't unring that bell and you have a problem. So the more that you do on the front end, the more likely that person is to be successful and end up being a good hire for you. Your team, they need to know the people that, that are working for you. They have to know that you care about what happens to them personally, but you are challenging them professionally. There's so many people that they just enable folks. They don't say anything at all. They're just lazy managers and just hope it gets better. Maybe they just run every meet with a fist on the desk and they don't care about them one bit. They have all these different styles and you'll read about these in the book. Okay, the book is great, but identifying that quadrant where you are challenging people professionally while you're showing that you care about them personally and you have people around you that you're developing a leadership, kind of like Joseph, 
which we'll talk about in a minute, to do the same thing, that's when things really start to happen. So what I've learned in life that is most important foundation in business really is our integrity, that everything is built on integrity. And we all have three names. The first name is the one that your parents gave you. The second one is the ones that others call you. And then the third name is the one that you make for yourself. You look at all of the advertising out there, all the advertising is over price, price, price. Not over, is it proper coverage? Is it doing the right thing for the family? Is it going to be there to take care of the needs that they think it needs to be taken care of when they have a claim? It has gone so much towards the numbers of if you talk to enough people, you're going to get a certain percentage of them to say yes, rather than making sure that they're covered the way they need to be covered and spending the time, like Steve said, building a relationship and making sure that you're doing the right thing for the customer. And product knowledge is so very little in the equation, and it's critical that you practice, 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 practice. You just got to do it over and over again. So many ages overlook their current customers. They just keep trying to bring on new blood all the time, and they don't go deeper with the people they already have, especially when it comes to life insurance. I recommend the same thing. I think it's as important to your team as the agent deems it important. If the agent doesn't do it and skips it, then the team members interpret that to be, well, it's not that important. But it is important, and it's a necessity if you're really going to train someone to be a professional. As an owner agent of 30 years, my 31st year with State Farm is that you never stop looking because it will always be your number one challenge, hiring people and keeping people. Again, has evolved. is like Steve said, a lot of agents are just selling term insurance, term insurance. And a lot of them don't understand, you know, the big benefits of permanent insurance doesn't really show up until years later. And the big drawback of term doesn't show up until years later. How much are you paying your team and how much are you actually probably tracking what they're able to do for your agency? Are you paying too much for people that might not be producing where you need them to be? And the only way we know that, right, we're the finance guys, right? We're not necessarily helping you develop your sales strategies. But right away, if we see a total employee expense percent above a certain threshold, we say, look, there's either two issues here. Either one, you've got too many people on payroll for the revenue right now, for the revenue to support it, or you're paying too much to the individuals on board based on what they're producing at the agency, right? There tends to be two things. Or you could say that's a conscious decision by me to invest this year. So we're not saying it's necessarily, hey, you got to get rid of somebody. But right away, we're able to say, hey, this better be a conscious decision for you because it's cutting into your profitability. If you're consciously cutting your distributions down or to what we've seen sometimes is some people say, hey, I'm an S-Corp agency owner and my goal is to have as little profit as possible because of taxes. Well, you're actually cutting out the only or at least the primary tax benefit of being an S-Corp agency owner. So 
you might want to at least think about that, consult with us, consult with your CPA on what is that salary that you should have to be able to actually have the right budget for yourself. A distribution should be a distribution of profit. And so we should look at it and use the financial reports of the agency to say, based upon my financial performance or the agency's financial performance of the previous month or the previous quarter, I am now choosing to distribute X amount of the profit. So it needs to be something that's actually deliberate rather than something that's in and out, in and out. Because that's really where a lot of agents can really put that question mark up of what are my financials? I don't really know, right? I've got so much money going every which way. And so that's what we try and help do. Not only set the budget, but help set a more distinct routine to distributions. You can close your eyes and dollar cost average in the stock market. You'll be fine on your 65th birthday. You'll probably be rich. It's fine. But if you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, that doesn't work because it's no longer dollar cost averaging. It is now dollar cost ravaging because if you take money out of your portfolio and the market goes down, as the market goes down, you have to take out more and more and more. And then when the market goes back up and then that grows back, it's you just took it out and spend it. And all it takes is a couple dips early in retirement and your portfolio can enter a death spiral it will never come out of. And that is why I believe people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s should not be naked in the stock market. See, I got enough money to retire. The worst thing I could do is lose it. So I want to make as much as I can make, but I don't want to lose what I've already got. Vanguard can't do that for me. Fidelity can't do that for me. Mr. Ken Fisher cannot do that for me, but that's what annuities can do for me. Just so you know, there were hundreds of variable annuity subaccounts last year that were up over 20 and 30% after fees. Well, you know what? For me as an investor, that's fine. If I can make 20 or 30% in a bull market, I'm happy, okay? And if I make 31 instead of 33%, do you think I'm going to lose sleep over that? No, because when the market crashes, I've got protection. People can't spend their assets. They've been psychonomically programmed not to touch those assets. And most people are going to go to their graves never touching their assets, which is why the PhDs who study retirement say you should take a portion. I've never said take all. Take a portion of your assets and turn those into those guaranteed paychecks and playchecks because you've been programmed to spend those. And you see, it's the spending of money in retirement that allows you to enjoy your retirement. It's the travel. It's the dinners out. It's the bottles of wine with your friends. That's how you enjoy your retirement. I don't care how many millions of dollars you got stashed in some account somewhere. If you're scared to death to do anything with it, it will do nothing for your retirement. And that's really what Paychecks and Playchecks is all about. I think our true value add and where we're going is that small businesses around the country, including insurance agencies, they don't have the luxury of these big data type analytic tools to run your business. For the most part, we're obviously mom and pop small businesses, but we have incredible purchasing power when we add in all of our locations together. So if we can collect data across the board in terms of number one expenses, and then also on ROI, I think there's incredible potential that we can look at in terms of just running a more efficient business. We're not on an island. Whenever I would go to an agency meeting, we would all talk about, hey, Bradley, what do you pay for your payroll? Or what do you pay for marketing? I just always wondered why that was such a big secret. Why is that that requires flight time and, and meeting and it's top of mind for everybody, but why don't I have that information right away? So that's the idea behind it. And what we're doing now is starting to pull out what are the threads of the top performing agencies around the country? Where do they spend their money? And how can we help other agents, especially starting off, spend their money more efficiently. 
the past couple of years, just with our industry, I think have been changing quicker and quicker. So just being able to quickly log into the analytics and as I plan out for my agency for next year, I'm able to quickly see anonymously, of course, which agency's revenues went up the most and then digging into their data and seeing where they spent. So I'm just able to make, I think, better business decisions because I'm not just looking at my own data set. I'm able to look at the top performers, the top 10% of who's doing well. And, you know, Micah and the team at Club Capital can share with any of our users on how to do that and how to get that done. But just in my annual planning and quarterly planning, just analyzing the expenses, where we're spending money, are we spending it in the right marketing sources? And are we spending it in the right areas? You have to have a system in place to extrapolate the profit, right? And I think humans by design were bad at essentially doing things automatic. So as you're comfortable and as you can, obviously put things on auto pay, put your savings on auto pay, pay yourself first. If it's automatically going into savings, you don't have to do it manually. It's going to help you save more over time, right? These are simple things, but we just kind of get out of the way of our own human nature. And you can do the same thing with your business. If you set up the right financial ecosystem, so it all works together. I think some of the keys to the success definitely has been our team and the ability to build that up. Like you said, Bradley, really the ability to blend a PNC agency with a financial service agency. And I think with a lot of agencies out there, that's really where the opportunity comes. It can be one of the most challenging parts for a lot of agencies, especially starting out. And I get that. But being able to combine both an insurance agency and a financial service agency, I think, is really where the opportunity lies right now. The leader is the best fed, the best compensated, the best opportunities, the best training, the best development, all that sort of stuff. And the followers are okay with that so long as the leader doesn't violate their obligation. And that is whenever there's danger or a challenge or something bigger than what the people that they're leading are able to take on, that the leader goes first. Crops need storms to grow and so do people. And the challenges and the failures that we go through in life, they're only failure when you complete it and don't get back up and learn something from it and move forward. But I know a lot of my bigger failures in life have led us to really, really beautiful things to have come from it. But yeah, I think that speaks volumes to kind of the mindset that you want to be in of, you know, like life does have some pain in it and you've got to be able to embrace that to be able to grow and learn. You've got to ask for people to be able to step outside their comfort zone and support them to be able to do that and allow them to fail and make sure that it's not atrophy, that relationship. You can still expect them to be the best version of themselves on that daily basis, but it's not necessarily the best version of their self if there's a huge, massive hill in between them and where they want to go. And then as a leader, you've got to be able to make some decisions around that of, is this hill worth waiting for? That's a real question that you need to be able to work through them. And lots of times in my one-on-ones with team members, I'm talking to them about, about their marriage or about relationships with their parents or whatever. And that has nothing to do with the daily management of it. But I need a really, really good, well-grounded human being to be able to work in the office and to be able to give me their best effort. And so that's what I mean by it's a lot more artful and it's never necessarily the same size. It's all I might give very, very different advice to one team member versus another just based on knowing enough about them to care deep enough and understand kind of how they're looking at the world and where their challenges might be. But at the end of the day, I control one person and that's me. And so anytime I've got a performance issue, anytime I've got, like you mentioned, a toxic culture, I've, I've dealt with them before. Anytime we've got team member issues, whatever, the first place that I'm always looking is in the mirror. Are they modeling? Because I mean, if you're doing a good job leading, your people are going to model your behavior for good, bad, or indifferent. 
And so the first place I'm always looking at is in the mirror and how have I influenced this behavior that either I really like or that I really don't like. Oftentimes, a lot of people come into business and start their own business with unrealistic expectations for themselves. So what I mean by that is sometimes people set certain types of expectations that are centered on, okay, I want to generate this particular revenue by the end of this year. But realistically, in order for me to do that, I have to work seven days a week instead of six. And I'm not going to give myself permission to take some time off. And when you start to allow your financial ambitions and your business ambitions to override and you prioritize those particular goals over your own self-care and your own personal needs, that's when you start to find yourself falling into the cyclical pattern and this trap over and over and over again. So what I typically recommend is creating a targeted specific list of all the different things that you want to grow and mature and develop in prior to reaching out to certain individuals. You can rewire and reorient the neural pathways in your brain to learn and adapt to and accommodate for healthier lifestyle patterns and behaviors. But the way that it works is the reward system in our brain has to be triggered. We have to experience the emotional gratification and satisfaction of an experience. And through that, the neural pathways in our brain rewire accordingly so that we can accommodate for that new behavior. Meet with your people at least once a week, one-on-one. Not just to talk business, but to form that relationship, build rapport. How's the spouse doing? How are the kids doing? And then, yes, of course, you're going to talk about business. How can I help you as a leader? How can I help you be as successful in this position as possible? What help do you need from me? I think the team meeting thing goes overlooked, especially the one-on-ones, but that's been a game changer in my agency. If you're going to own your own business, if you're going to be successful... You have these goals that you've set out, no matter how big or how small, you got to create a game plan and then you got to do whatever it takes for however long to get it done. And so that's really where that persistency comes in. We all got the same 24 hours in the day. And so you're going to make time for what's important to you. There's no such thing as I don't have enough time. It's all about what's important to you and what you make a priority. My rule is always three. So I have three absolute tasks that I'm going to do today before the day's over. I'm going to get done because as I accomplish those tasks, I mark them off is what I do. You can also put a check mark by it. But, but that means I won the day. I told myself I was going to have three things I was going to accomplish that day before the day was over. I accomplished them. I won the day. Like what else can you do? Like if you win every single day, you're going to win the weeks. You win the weeks, you win the months, you win the months. You're going to win the years. You win the years. You're going to have a hell of a life. So if we list all the priorities that are important to a small business and especially an agency, State Farm Agency or any financial service agency, all the things that are important are solved by team members. Sales done through team, great customer service done through team, ethics has to be ingrained in your team, right? There really isn't much that happens that's important that isn't done through having a really good team. Recruiting doesn't mean throw up a few ads and come through resumes when you need somebody or every week or two. You know, It means having a process every single day where your ads for employment are getting out there and getting refreshed. It's combing through resumes whether you need them or not. It's assessing the ones that you like on a regular basis and having a system where you actually, whether it's perfect or not, and it's not, 
but a system that comes through and distills these resumes down to enough candidates that you can fill your pipeline. So here's a professional who aspires to have your job, wants to be an agent. And at the core of that is somebody who is more motivated than your average person to do well while they work for you, right? So we can all brainstorm and imagine why that's an advantage. You know, they're going to work harder. They're going to train harder. They're going to read the books you recommend. They're going to absorb the things that you try to teach them. They're going to want to role play more than most people. You know, the problems with assessments, the, the problems can be that it's a numbers game, just like sales. So if you only assess five people, there's a decent chance that all five will not come back with a great score. If you were to assess 50 people, you have 10 times more likely to find that diamond in the rough. Well, procrastination is complex because there are so many different dynamics at work and procrastinating. And I always tell people, you know, with procrastination, we think that we're putting off something that's going to be painful or uncomfortable or embarrassing. And in reality, we're putting off our future success. So... So if they just kind of blow it off and say, I haven't had a selling experience, I would go and probe and really, you know, like, did you ever want to go somewhere and your parents didn't want you to go and you were able to persuade them to go? So you have to coax it out of them because that is a very lazy answer to say, I've never had a selling experience. So you can hire somebody, but if they're not motivated and they're not oriented to succeed, it's going to be very difficult to be able to develop them unless you have an agency that is just really, really high achieving. And when people come in, they just get in that groove there. So we call those the imposters. So it looks like call reluctance, but in reality, there's something deeper that needs to be looked at. The sales call reluctance assessment measures what will people do around clientele building, networking, what will they do when they're in front of a prospect? Will they cross sell? Will they upsell? Will they really start looking at further opportunities in that conversation? So it's more of a behavioral on what they will do. The best agents have all made a fundamental transition from merely quoting cheap insurance to advising clients in the most effective way to protect everything they own. And I call that becoming a risk advisor. And so when you make that transition from quoting cheap insurance to advising clients, there's several wonderful things that happen in your agency. Number one, you and your staff become more respected and you hear the word thank you more often. The second thing that happens is you close more sales. The third thing that happens is you increase retention. And the fourth thing that happens is you get more referrals. So it's a really wonderful metamorphosis that happens in an agency if they can make that transition. I think it's just tremendously important in this age of commoditization that the agent really steps up and becomes a risk advisor and has that face-to-face -face meeting with the client. If an agent 
has a your world conversation with the customer, the very first thing the customer will do is say thank you. And usually they'll say something like this, you know, thank you, nobody's ever done this for me before, or thank you, nobody ever made insurance that easy to understand. And then the second thing that happens is the customer will almost never, ever leave you. So retention goes up. And the third thing that happens is that they'll buy more from the agent. So many people make the mistake where they're trying to plan consistently, trying to plan daily, right? Daily to-do list or whatever. But that takes a lot of brain power. It's very easy to follow orders. Being a commander, right? Being a general, that's the hard part. So breaking up the planning and the acting phases can be very, very important. So the idea is that you're doing the work throughout the week, that you're following the orders that you gave yourself on Sunday or whatever, and then you execute. And then you really just don't question it until you get to the next Sunday where you then review and then plan again. So by breaking up those two structures, you're able to start to develop more confidence in yourself, right? And confidence in the system. Especially new business owners go to think about their business. What they feel most of the time is shame, regret, disappointment, incompetence. They feel these negative emotions because their business in the beginning is not where they want it to be. And for many people, that shuts them down, right? The prospect of actually feeling that shuts them down. And we're taught, I do a lot of men's work, we're taught as men just to like put her head down and just go harder, right? Just go harder, push more. But like what you said, that's not tactical. That's not intelligent, right? It's just like the bull charging forward. I say for my guys, it's like being a barbarian with an axe versus being a samurai, right? If you're a samurai, you just do one stroke and it's done, right? It's very effective, very graceful. There's something else that I really recommend a lot of my startups do is start to slash. A lot of people are afraid, especially when they're starting to taste success, they're afraid of getting rid of people, changing policies, dropping problematic clients because they're like, I need this. I finally got there. I need this. But the way that I see business development is that it's a constant refinement. It's a constant optimization and it's a constant conversation of trying to build the business and ultimately the lifestyle that you want. The question is, what do you want to do? It's all about opportunity, about potential. It's go out there, achieve your dreams. But once you get older, it's about what do you want to sacrifice? What do you want to give up? And that hadn't been true for me until the past couple of years. And now it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My decisions are more about what am I willing to give up in service of something bigger. And the more of that that happens, you can get, I think what you're saying, Brad, into these mental states where you're just bitter, you're angry. For some people, it brings up shame, depression, guilt, this constant thing where the environment is reinforcing these negative attitudes. Very similarly, you can do it with positive things. For me, I love doing home repairs and home stuff. So when I build something and I make my house like very slightly, at this point, like marginally more efficient, the emotional payoff I get is substantial. If you were to go online and you were to look up hiring salespeople, 99% of what you're going to find there is a company trying to get you to buy a personality profile. If a person has the right personality, that's only 35% of what they need. And those companies are really good at catering to what we talked about earlier. Everybody wants an easy solution to a complex problem. And so they cater to that buy this personality profile. It'll help you tell whether or not somebody can sell. And that's really malpractice. Because when you look at all of the dimensions that make up whether or not a person can do this, the first thing a person needs to do is to become educated on all of the dimensions that determine whether or not a person can do that job. As soon as we can get a person to take the assessment, be honest while they're taking the assessment, because 
the degree to which they're honest when they're answering the questions is the degree to which you'll get good information. So if they'll honestly answer the questions, then we can get the scores that we need to look at on the personality profile. If they'll take the time and put in the effort to take the intelligence test, we'll get that information. So we can really create a very expeditious process if we can have a system where we are communicating effectively with candidates in a way that encourages them to take the assessment. And we can get that information either before we do a telephone interview or quickly thereafter. So we can use the personality assessment and the intelligence test early so that we can save ourselves a lot of time. The larger an organization gets, competency flattens. Incompetency grows exponentially. So you think about an organization that has 10,000 people, 100 people are producing 50% of the work. So there are 100 extremely competent people inside that organization that are responsible for making sure that the balance of those 10,000 individuals are being extremely productive. What sets agency owners apart is thought leadership. Are they willing to step out from their corporate brand and engage with their audience and customers on a personal becoming that on-ramp back to their agency. And you know, some individuals recoil at the thought of personal branding, and they're so hesitant to do it because they fear that it can be perceived as ego-driven or bragging. But the key is to approach your thought leadership with the right strategy and mindset to purely deliver value and make a bigger impact. And those that are willing to step out from behind that corporate brand, they're going to be seen as a thought leader. Really what we want you to do is think like a media outlet instead of a marketer. So they're trying to sell really hard online. And so I want you to almost think of yourself as the editor of your own newspaper and really focus on three types of content whether it's social media, whether it's a blog post, whether it's an email, think of it in these three areas. How do we empower our current clients where we're over-delivering constantly to talk about us? And and the way you do that is empowering them by inviting them onto the interview series, by delivering really good content, whether it's social media, email, or your blog that they want to share. That's why that newsjacking component and that news-driven component is so important because they might know somebody that needs that information right now. And it gives them a good excuse for them to talk about you. Do it at once. So don't be on every channel at once if it's something that you can't manage. If you have finite time and finite resources, pick one or two channels that are most you know, geared towards your audience and get really comfortable there. Get more momentum, get a calendar set out, and that will make you more successful than trying to spread and halfway manage your social media on five different accounts. I think that agents need to have higher expectations of themselves and of the people that they lead, that the people will do what the people are expected to do. I have a very literal definition of the employer-employee relationship. My feeling is the person whose name is on the signature line of the paycheck makes the rules. And I think too many agents are so fearful of their team, quote, leaving them 
that they don't enforce their own rules. They don't enforce their own expectations. They don't enforce their own goals. And it just devolves into a mess over time. Agents will, let's just use a number so I can do the math. They'll pay $3,000 a month for 90 days. That's $9,000. If they go six months, that's $18,000 of payroll plus benefits. And if they don't get any ROI on that, that money is gone forever. And all the opportunity cost that goes with it, because that money could have been invested in someone else, not only producing more near-term return, but you now have to start this process all over again. And I think agents should be a little bit more jealously protective of their dollars, of their money, and not just keep throwing money at new people without being able to plug them into an actual process that they can have confidence in that the people will have success. And I think, Bradley, you can acknowledge that most agents, the thing that really cripples them is high levels of employee turnover. My suggestion for the listeners is whatever drives you insane, whatever you end up having to scold people about and coach people about and put them on warning about, write that down and write write the positive outcome. What is the thing you desire? And honestly, if you think about it, it's unfair to hire somebody without that. Because if you say, hey, we're hiring you for this position and these are the tasks you're doing, but you don't give them that qualitative, this is the way and the how, how could they possibly achieve that? Some of the best agents that I've worked with, what I tell them is one of your recruiting advantages is your mentorship. And I think people don't value, they don't literally put a price on their wisdom and their experience and their mentorship of these young folks. Some of the best agents that I've worked with, what I tell them is one of your recruiting advantages is your mentorship. And I think people don't value, they don't literally put a price on their wisdom and their experience and their mentorship of these young folks. It pains me probably the way it pains you guys to see good agents, good people with the best of intentions either struggle or wash out of the business or make far less income while working harder and harder and harder. That's painful to me. That's why I do what I do because it's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen, but nobody's telling them and nobody's giving them the path and they just kind of suffer in mediocrity and that's very painful to watch. Business is very personal, but I don't think business needs to be emotional. There's a lot of emotions that run high and low. And I think those are some of the worst times to make critical decisions in your business. So if you agree that business by itself is an intellectual sport, it requires you to be rational in your decision making. And you can't do that when you're emotional. Now, a lot of people listening to this may be thinking, that I'm referring to emotional whenever something's negative. They just had a team member issue. Maybe somebody left. Their numbers are not where they need to be, et cetera. But actually, some of the worst times to be making a decision in your business is when you're fired up and excited because you think everything you touch is going to turn to gold. I mean, how often, if you're listening to this podcast, have you gone to a meeting, been around highly successful other business owners, and come back and said, I'm going to go hire five new people immediately without any idea of how you're going to pay for all of those people. And so that's the part of where you've got to be able to actually have time to think about the business. Ari Mazel has introduced me to the concept of peak time. And there's about an hour a day that all of us are at our very best, at our very, very best. And so one of the most important things you can do for your team is to give them your energy. You have to give them your energy. So when are you doing your one-to-ones? When are you doing your huddles on a weekly basis? When are you meeting with your team that you're able to give them the most energy? Because they're going to feed off of that. 
So with everything that we do, we try not to stay just radical and conceptual. We try to actually bring that down to the ground and have application and implementation. So I used to hear this and we recently did a podcast with Scott Grates where he talks about winning the day. But every single time we have a coaching in all of our huddles and all of the one-to-ones that I run across the businesses, every time I meet with a coaching client, every single time we start with wins in progress. Why? Because the I see, as Dan Sullivan says, the I see and the ears hear what it is the brain is looking for. If you're scanning for the positives, you'll find positives. But if you're not, you're scanning for negative, you're going to find negative every single day. And so we always start with wins in progress. So begin to be aware of what your energy and how it goes up and down throughout the day and even throughout the week and schedule your huddles and your one-to-ones when you're forward-facing with your team at the times that you're going to be at the highest energy. If you're the highest energy from one to three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to argue that's the time for you to be doing your one-to-ones with your team. They need that from you. And lastly, I think the most important thing you can do, our first principle in our six-step leadership journey is called lead yourself first. You've got to be able to put your oxygen mask on And so the best way to do that is you've got to be able to protect your confidence, capturing those wins on a daily basis, and then using your Sunday night planning system to go back and reflect on those wins from the week. It will give you a tremendous amount of confidence going into the week ahead. So my thing became with the win the day mindset is when my team leaves at five o'clock each night, do they know if they won or lost that game, won or lost that day, the clock becomes easy to track, but what's the scoreboard look like? And so really we've broken it down, not only to the day, but to every single conversation and interaction within that day. How do we optimize? How do we maximize? How do we go wider, dig deeper into each of those conversations to have winning conversations, which will ultimately drive us that winning day? We love to pound our chest and say, well, I'm the toughest on myself or I'm my own hardest critic or, and I'm calling BS because we're not, we're the easiest on ourselves. We give ourselves passes and we start justifying that we're not doing things. Well, it's not a big deal. I'll be there tomorrow or I went yesterday or so my suggestion would be partner up with a like-minded agent to implement this and say, hey, we're going to commit to doing this and share results with one another and have the courage to look each other in the eye and say, I'm not going to be easy on you. And I don't want you to be easy on me, right? No time for like pity parties here. Let's have some tough love and get this thing done. And it's mind boggling to me that we just expect to show up at 8.59 or nine o'clock and just be on point in the best version of ourselves. It is so counterintuitive with how professionals in every other industry act. And again, to use the sports reference, right? I mean, you watch any ball game at any level. My kid plays varsity soccer, high school, right? I mean, he was there an hour before last night's game, warming up, taking shots, practicing, passing, right? I mean, hydrating. We focus on the things that we eat. and But then as insurance professionals, we just show up and we just want to wing it. And we go, wow, well, how come we're not getting better? How come? So I'm belaboring the point, but it's a huge point is that practice absolutely positively has to be a non-negotiable at your agency. Think about who you refer. I mean, if we do the bare bones minimum and I say, hey, Chris, for a $10 gas card or coffee card, can I have the names of everyone that's closest to you? Chris is going to be like, 
no, <laughs> I'm not going to give that up for a $10 card. But we do this every single day. And so I look at who I refer and I'm really like four or five people in my life that I refer with confidence and everyone else, you know, if someone says, Hey, do you have someone in this industry? I'm like, nah, not really. Because if they don't do a fantastic job, that reflects poorly on me. They're like, Scott, why'd you refer me to that person? Right? So I want just the opposite effect. When people refer someone to this agency, I want people to be like, damn, Chris, I'm so happy you sent me to them. You must position yourself to be the gateway to all things insurance and financial services for service and advice. If you do that, your opportunity to offer product solutions will expand dramatically. Because if you give great service, you earn the right to offer more products. They're not going to buy from you every time. They don't today. But you need to position yourself to be service first. And that's the difference between when I first started and today. Onboarding is one of the most important things. You bring up a great subject. That means how do we answer the phone? What do we say? It's scripted. Inbound calls, outbound calls. The way we treat somebody when they walk through the door the way we walk them out of the building. We give them Ritz-Carlton service. This can't be done by just going, okay, here's your desk, here's your phone, giddy up. They've got to have somebody holding their hand for the first 10 days, the first 20 days, the first 30 days. And every position is different as far as the onboarding goes, but it is all planned out because it's a huge investment to put on a person in your business. So as we move to an open platform product solution, that doesn't mean you're going to be selling every product, but you're going to be giving advice because you're the gateway to all things insurance and financial services, and you're already not selling everybody you talk to. So quit worrying about it. You're going to get your fair share, but you're going to get them because you are now retooling your model to put the customer first, not your commission, not your revenue. And if you do that, and you're seeing indications of this in the industry right now, I can't name companies because of antitrust laws and because of compliance, but you're seeing it. Offering products where there's little or no commission so that we can surround the customer and be the gateway, or as the independent big business carriers say, I control the accounts. That's what they tell the underwriter. I control the account. Well, I don't use that term. I'm the gateway. That means they trust me for everything. The currency for us is information. Mm. Currency is information. Put the information in, and then we've got people that will help us mine it and get it out. There's just more and more targeted marketing. There's so much data, so much info out there. For better or for worse, no taking a hard stance on that. We all know Facebook and Google know everything about us, and that's the way it is. That probably isn't changing. And that for an advertiser and for a marketer, that's a dream to know your audience really in depth, be able to deliver stuff to them that's relevant, that's what they need, getting in front of them at the right time in the right method or way. That's huge. And that's just going to be a bigger and bigger thing that they're going to be doing. So yeah, those are some of the ways that I see it changing. SEO is not a quick game. SEO is not something that you just start today and you start having inbound leads come in tomorrow. SEO is a long-term play, a great long-term play, but it takes a lot of work and it takes time. Whereas pay-per-click ads, whether they're Facebook ads or AdWords or whatever, are more immediate. You're going to spend more money on that, but they're more immediate. So there's pros and cons to a lot. But yeah, I mean, that's just part of the agency's 
really figuring out what's going to work best for them. And there are, depending on what it is they're doing, better options than others. But yeah, it's kind of what it is as far as marketing. SEO is not a quick game. SEO is not something that you just start today and you start having inbound leads come in tomorrow. SEO is a long-term play, a great long-term play, but it takes a lot of work and it takes time. Whereas pay-per-click ads, whether they're Facebook ads or AdWords or whatever, are more immediate. You're going to spend more money on that, but they're more immediate. So there's pros and cons to a lot. But yeah, I mean, that's just part of the agencies really figuring out what's going to work best for them. And there are, depending on what it is they're doing, better options than others. But yeah, it's kind of what it is as far as marketing. They all know this stuff works. They see it work. They see it work on the independent side. And when a company tells them you can't do this or that, when they know it's the stuff that's working and they're having to use old school techniques or something like that, then they're like, how am I getting set up for success? And so they're doing this. And it's fine. It's the same as purchasing from a lead vendor, essentially. No captive companies being like, oh, you can't go to Everquote. But if you're running your own ads with no company branding and they come through as a lead to you, it's the same thing if you went and got it from a vendor, except you generate yourself and it's exclusive to you, which is even better quality. And so at the end of the day, companies turn a little bit of a blind eye because it's the ending up the sales numbers and production for the company. So yeah, it's a little touch and go on the capital side. But honestly, a lot of these concepts can be applied. You just got to be careful with using your company's branding name because obviously they want to control that brand because they spent so much money and time building up a huge reputation. And with that brand, they don't want to be affected by agents. Once you get to a certain level of comfort and success, the next mountain peak is the hardest one because now you're comfortable. But what it takes from a sacrifice to achieve that next level of wealth, that next level of success requires you to give up some of the comforts. And I've worked with a lot of wealth managers and a lot of insurance agents who have their lake house or they play golf every Thursday and Friday afternoon. And they love it because it gives them that flexibility. But what happens is the more they're away from their production, the more they try to push their production back onto the people in their team who are not as motivated, don't have the same motivations, don't have the same skill sets, what happens is it becomes a mismatch. And so frustration arises. One of the things I've always wondered is why don't we use content as the greatest marketing tool? You can put a great glamour shots picture up and look great and all this other stuff, but content is currency. So if you give me great content that I can share with other people, That's a skill and talent. And so whether it be writing or video or blogging or whatever it is, find a way to make your content worthwhile that gets you in front of your clients. Now, I know you have regulations and whatever, but I think we have to come to the 21st century too. Well, you got to understand the closer you are to the goal, the more the negative thoughts and doubts pick up. The thing that you really must understand is that the human mind's job is to protect you first and foremost. So the closer you are to something, it's kind of like when we used to watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? The closer that he got to the prize possession, the more dangerous it got. That's what success is like. It's most dangerous on the top of Mount Everest, not at the base. People don't fall off the base of the mountain. And it's the same way with any kind of success. The closer we get, the more volatile it gets and the more at risk we are. You would never bring in a challenger to your antagonist. Your antagonist is somebody who has great amount of information, knows what they're talking about. They just don't agree with you. They just don't agree with you. They may have had a bad experience with your company before, or they just don't agree with the vehicles that you're putting them in because they have a whole different philosophy. And the reason I'm saying you never bring your challenger in is because it makes us feel insecure. But as the greatest person to bring, knows what they're talking about, you just have to find a common link of where you can have agreement. If you're not willing to lay it on the line and put it out there, you're not going to achieve it. 
if you want to be the best at what you do, then say it and build the tools and the skills necessary to succeed with it. If you can't admit what you want, then you're just going to go around getting substandard outcomes. And I think the problem is that most of us in today's world, we're terrified to go all in. We're terrified to leave it all on the line because what that means is if we leave it on the line and we fail, the ultimate conclusion is I just, I guess I'm not that good. And that terrifies people. Yeah, you're accountable, but you're not just accountable to yourself. You're accountable to other people. You don't want to let them down. You're contributing to a higher cause, if you will. You either rise or fall with the tide again, as I said previously. And then more so than just team performance goals was just keeping track and holding them accountable to the things that they have to do in order to generate those end results, which is the activities. What are you doing every day to generate those results, right? Because those results don't just happen. You're doing other things. So holding them accountable to activities was the biggest impact. You need to, I always tell agents, adopt the philosophy I learned when I was in the army. It was the KISS philosophy. Keep it simple, stupid, because if you have too many moving parts in your compensation plan, you've defeated the purpose because they're spending more time trying to figure out all those moving parts versus what you really want them to be doing, which is selling or prospecting. Depending on how large your agency is, so some agencies have a ton of people, they have multiple locations, so that dynamic will be a little bit different on how you want to put in your requirements. But let's just use a regular standard agency with five team members with one location. You have their individual requirements for them to get their baseline commissions, but as you tier it up, and maybe on the third or fourth level, if you're going to pay additional percentages on your auto and home, they also go in and put in either a team requirement or an office requirement. So now all of a sudden that individual isn't living on that island because now their individual commissions are contingent on the agency or that team hitting some specific numbers as well. So that is another key component that will ensure that you don't have silos in your agency and you're all working as a cohesive team so that you're all rising with the tide rather than just failing or succeeding as individuals. Most business owners, agencies, corporations, they do some form of gamification. They just don't do it very well. The thing about a game is you need to understand what the playing field is, how long the game, what's the finish line, where are we today in the race versus the three quarters of the way through the race. A lot of corporations, they'll throw out a game, if you will, for a prize. And that's at the very beginning of the competition to get it started. And then nobody knows anything until the end where the finalists are revealed. Well, that's like a race with blinders on, right? You don't know where you're at. You don't know where anybody else is at. But if you implement a software like Leaderboard Legends, which is coming out in a couple of weeks as well, but it dovetails on what Racing Snail does, it allows you to keep that game in front of you at all times. You'll know exactly where you're at, what you need to do in order to catch the leader. It gives you everything you need to know so you have a clear view of the entire playing field and where the finish line is. If you're listening to this podcast, you want to grow. But to take your business from $300,000 to $3 million, yeah, it can happen in the VC world. It doesn't happen that way overnight in the real world. And it sure as heck doesn't happen in your insurance agency. Read this book. It's my top two book. It's probably going to make it to my, it may even be in my top five books of all time. Rand Fishkin, Lost and Founder. You have to read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. We can't talk entrepreneurship without talking about him. This guy. Number one is a Stanford grad, which nowadays, if you have a degree from Stanford, you can basically walk into most companies and you'll be making upwards of 100K easily. And that has been the case this whole time. With that being said, this guy chose to, after he graduated, travels the world, 
And when he comes back to the US, says, you know what? I'm going to sell shoes, like a Stanford grad deciding to sell shoes. And that was all that it was back then. He was a distributor for a Japanese company, Tiger Shoes. And he grew his distribution of those shoes basically nationwide. And there wasn't really one moment where he could just take a break. If it wasn't one fire, it was another. If it wasn't one person backstabbing him, it was another. If it wasn't him getting fired or him about to get fired, it was another issue. And like, it was fire after fire after fire, even after founding Nike, it was just nonstop stress, which people think that being a founder, being a boss is like this glamorous thing with suits and everything. It could not be further from the truth. It wasn't basically until 90s, maybe after Jordan got signed, that he could finally take a breather. He said, but it's not about just failing, this infatuation with failing all the time. What you really want is to learn fast. When you fail, what do you learn? And are you picking up something? Are you learning as fast as you may be failing? And so just to fall in love with failing all the time misses the point which is to make sure that we're learning so that we can actually get better and take advantage of that. So my favorite book of 2020, Think Like a Rocket Scientist. Well, Bradley, it's funny you say that because the book that I'm about to share with you guys, my number one book for 2020, actually says the exact opposite of that, which is The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. I love Ryan because of the fact that he's basically a modern day philosophy and Stoicism, as many of you may or may not know, is a philosophy that helps you deal with everyday things by simply embracing what happens. It says, there's no right or wrong, there's just facts. And it's your perception, your view on them that makes them so. So basically, he just says, take things at face value, face them, and move on. There's no point in sitting there and wallowing. It's a matter of being objective about what's happening, which is not easy at all, by the way. That's why there's tons of books on this. But being objective about what's happening and actually get to work, get to whatever it is that you have to accomplish. Thank you all again for listening throughout 2020 to the first full year of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. We couldn't do it without you. We so appreciate the feedback that all of you have been able to give us. Thank you for sharing on social media. Thank you for the suggestions. We're so excited about the guests that we have coming up in 2021. And we hope that you all have a wonderful year end. Happy New Year. And we look forward to serving you in more ways in 2021. Big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Direct Clicks. Matt and Maddie Jones, uh, make sure you click in the link below to take a look at their marketing ROI tool. It is a great tool. I do use it in my business. It has helped me immensely. They have an incredible team over at DirectClick. So make sure you reach out to them for them to be able to help you with your marketing as you go into 2021. Until next time, lead well.